If you like the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash show, and you can see us on the web at www.tracktuned.com. And be sure to leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes. everybody to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot and I'm joined here with Mikey from Pro Function and today we are at AM Performance in the LA area and that sounded like, that sounded like a motorcycle actually. Was that a motorcycle? No, I think that was that Hemi Wagon. That was the Hemi Wagon. Okay. Yeah. Nice, it sounded really good. <laughs> Anyways, we're here at AM Performance with uh, John Con- Concialdi, John Concialdi and Lawson Malika. How's it going guys? Good. Doing good. Awesome. Well, thanks for having us by. Thanks for coming by. So it's a very nice facility you guys have here. There's a lot of fun little toys around. Yeah, it can be fun. Yeah, and there's, there's well, a you're stuck in my cave here. It seems yeah. like there's a lot of history here too, man. You know, last time uh, last time I was here on on a trip when we stopped by, you know, we were able to walk around a little bit, and there's there's tons of fun stuff here. I get super jealous. There's a there's a lot of history. There's a lot of history in this building and a lot of history with AEM. Next year will actually be 30 years since JC founded the company. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, yeah. So we're yeah, who would have thought it lasted that long? Coming up on our <laughs> dirty 30s. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, company started. Uh, JC started off in uh, uh, Compton as a tuning facility. Okay. And uh, moved to Gardena, and then from Gardena we moved here in '97. Okay. So I've been here ever since. Wow. Yeah, it's been a long run. Man, 30 years. So what What were the first cars that you were working on back 30 years ago? Um, well, so so AEM started as, I used to run R&D for Weber Carburetor. Okay. And oh, yeah, you were telling me about that last time yeah, while we were yeah. here. So AEM is basically the old R&D division for Weber for North America. Okay. So our roots were in import cars, mostly because Weber Carburetors were on a lot of import cars and a lot of American performance cars as well. But back then, it was a lot of Hondas and Toyotas and Nissans. We were in, in when we opened in Compton. We were right in the middle of Honda, Toyota, Nissan, and none of them had a performance dyno, so they used to use us oh, really? to do all their dyno testing. And so wow. one day we'd have Nissan there, one day we'd have someone from Toyota, one day we'd have someone from Honda, and of course they'd always ask, "What were they doing?" You know, I said, well, really, do you want me to tell them what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. And so we had to be pretty quiet about stuff with them. So, okay. Yeah, a lot of import was the most thing. Okay. Yeah. What What was dyno technology like back then? Nowhere near what it is today. Yeah, I can, I can yeah. imagine. <laughs> so well, when I got the R&D part of Weber, we had a Clayton 200-horsepower, two-roller, water-brake dyno. And even more archaic was engine analysis equipment. So back then... We had five gas analyzers, and so you had latency time between when the combustion events occurred and when you were able to read what was happening. <laughs> so you had to time it, and you had to time it based not only on part throttle, but when you're full throttle, the gas speed through the exhaust was much quicker, so things would happen a lot faster. So it was kind of a guessing game. And, and to be honest, uh, we were one of the first ones around that had a MoTeC um, Lambda sensor. And okay. Those were seven thousand dollars back then. Oh, and the geez. sensors were twelve hundred dollars each. Just the sensor? Just the sensor. It was wow. an NTK sensor, and so 
when we got that piece of equipment, all of a sudden our brand equity went crazy because yeah. we could instantly read air fuel ratios on our dyno. Then we started getting people like Rod Millen with his 323 GT, and um, the guys from Nissan would bring us, you know, 240 SXs with turbochargers on them. In fact, Mike Kojima, I met Mike yeah. Kojima back then. Yeah, um, actually, I finally met Mike yesterday at Superlap Battle. Yeah, he's a great so, guy. Yeah, yeah, nice yeah, guy. Super yeah. good guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we met a lot of great people. George Kudo from Honda. You know, the Honda Special Projects guys would come by, and, and um, TRD people would come by and, okay. and do dyno work at our place. Awesome. Yeah. Well, how did how did AEM start? Like, what was the idea behind it? I know you were doing, you know, kind of R&D stuff for Weber, but before that, you know, how did how did your journey, I guess, go from, you know, to get into the industry? Um, well, uh, to get in the industry, um, when I was in college, you know, I did my mechanical engineering degree, and I, was wor- I, I initially wanted to be a pilot. Okay. Which is when you're yeah, interested we were talking, in seventy two, yeah. 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 So so I got my I got up to a flight engineer for D C nine. Okay. And then I got four F from the Air Force because my hearing's messed up and my tailbone was messed up and basically I messed up. So <laughs> that ended that. And Vietnam was ending and the last thing they needed was a bunch of pilots. So I you know, went off to Cal Poly in Pomona. Okay. And then finished up there. But I had wanted to fly and back then I got a job with the the Weber department at a company called BAP Geon, and I did R&D for Weber Carburetor for North America uh, back then at, at BAP Geon. And then I went from them to Redline, which is my current business partner's company, uh, Greg, Greg and Peter Newworth. Okay. So they ran R&D for Weber for North America from that point on. Uh, my business plan of what AEM was supposed to be and what AEM is not even completely close. <laughs> not even close the, the plan was peter was going to be my partner we were going to work on fuel injection systems and in high-end cars and have service centers all over the united states oh, really? to work on fuel injection okay. in high end like mercedes and, and bmw and ferrari right. and, and lambos and stuff like that right? so kind of like a like a franchise type thing yeah, yeah yeah and that was the plan branches all over the united states and at the last minute, Peter had to, to back out of it, and I had $5,000 in my bank account, and I had already stopped working for him, and AEM was about to start on October 1 of 87, and um, that was it. And so then I had to make a choice. Well, I can't, didn't have the capital to do that, so we started doing dyno work, and because of my experience with Weber, we had an instant client base with all the vintage car racers and people that had... Um, you know, cars with Weber carburetors. I, we had, I don't know if you know who Phil Hill is, but he was a customer. Yeah. Uh, back then, he brought me Jimmy Clark's Lotus, okay. and we did dyno work on the Lotus 51. The, back then, it was awesome because we did tons of vintage cars. And with those vintage cars, you got the lesson from everyone that had them there. You know, people were very happy to talk about those cars. So I got an amazing education from the owners of those cars that brought them in. And, and we had everything, and we had, you know, Various Aston Martins and Stangolini Formula Juniors and Phil's cars and just you name it. It was a, a line of vintage cars, Cobras and Lolas and all sorts of stuff came through here. They all had Weber carburetors, so that's that kind of was the beginning. Okay. And, um, then we got into Hondas. You know, I had an employee, a guy named E.T., and he had an Integra that we built up and may have gone street racing, may not. <laughs> uh, and he might have won a lot out there in Ontario. <laughs> and so we started getting a reputation with that car for building some pretty hot imports. And, okay. and that's, that's kind of what opened up Honda for us, was the working with Hondas, knowing how 
their engines were back then their engines were the best of the best and we had a relationship with honda special projects so we had a lot of uh, extra insight into the Honda, and pardon the pun, <laughs> into the Honda <laughs> engines. Yeah. That's right. That was a hybrid joke. Yes, it was. And those aren't good. <laughs> <laughs> to, to keep it kind of politically correct for today's uh, motorsports environment, uh, when you were grudge match racing at the track, uh, you couldn't run AEM stickers. Okay. So John's being very, yeah, he's, he's not... Uh, he's being very humble. Uh, yeah, the cars that were coming out of AM at the time, nobody wanted to race them. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. too quick, man. Well, you know, I mean, the guys at the V8s weren't expecting an Integra to kick their ass. <laughs> and so, you know, do you remember, I don't know if you remember, back in the day, it, it had its whole own language. It's like, well, I'll give you two in the move, you know. And, and my guys were always inviting me out to go to these grudge races. And I couldn't go because it's like, guys, you get busted. If I get busted, who's going to sign your check? Yeah. So I got to be back for that. But they had this own language, and they'd give these integral, like, well, I got a V8, so I'll kick your ass. I'll give you three, you know, and all that. And then, then it got to be known that E.T. was out there kicking everyone's butt with this car. Huh. So, so that's, uh, what was that, like m mid to late 80s? It was, um, yeah, uh, 89, 88, okay. 90, right okay. in that time zone or that era. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's when just like the import industry was just just Since starting. Infancy. Still pretty yeah. underground. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very underground. Okay, back then. Yeah, awesome. But we started getting a lot of customers back then too. So so Adam Saratari and Russ Matusevich and Steve Dunn and Abel Ibera and all the guys that were kind of household names in import drag racing started to come to us. You know because that that groundswell started and we we're. I mean, we didn't care. We'd work on anyone's car. Yeah. Know, until it had to make ends meet. Yeah. And so we had a lot of the early adopters of import drag racing. Uh, Frank uh, Choi and Tommy, his brother, would actually brought cars in. And Kirk Miller even brought cars in. Yeah. Darren Ishitani. Darren Ishitani. Steph. Yeah. Yeah. Steph. I did dyno work for Steph. Huh. Even when he was working at JG. You know, Steph brought his car down. We had an Excel system on it. You did Tony's car too, right? Fuchs, Fuchs. yeah, and yeah. Brian Kim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all, all the wow. all the guys that were kind of at the groundswell, we did a lot of tuning. We, matter of fact, it was cyber racing back then. Okay. And <laughs> so Tony and Brian and, and all those guys, we would, man, we'd be all hours of the night. I mean, just two, three in the morning, dynoing these cars, trying to get the last bit, and then pack them up and haul ass out to L.A. County Raceway and wait in line with everyone <laughs> to get in. I mean, back then, that's kind of in the infancy of, uh, of fuel injection in general, too, right? So Definitely. I'm sure you guys were having to figure a lot of stuff out on your own. Well, so so back then, you had Electromotive and Excel, Excel. were the kind of the big players. And then if you're a, a big hitter, so a guy, Brian Sakata worked for us. And Brian had a lot of money, and he's a very bright guy. And so Brian ran Motec Systems, and that, and Jim Munn and George Clark from Motec were really good friends of mine. Okay. And so we used to deal with Motec and Electromotive and Excel. So we, we carried the big, that was back then, the big three of fuel injection, and the high-end guys would run Motec, and maybe not-so-high-end guys would run the Electromotive because there's a little more value here, cost value, than the other ones. And you, you may not need what the Motec provided. Right. Um, so we were dealers for all three, okay. and uh, 
I even got a Jerry Malicote is a good friend of mine. He ran the Viper Lamar team, and so he did development with Caldwell Developments and Darren Ricky, and we got them using the Motec systems on those Vipers back then, and then they became big customers of Jim. Okay. George. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot I of can imagine stuff. So, so most of the products that you were developing then was it kind of through the tuning? You kind of noticed that there was a need for certain products, and you decided to develop them on your own, or, or how did you guys kind of get more into the the product side of things too? Well, so yeah, we, uh, we were a tuning shop, and then um, about ninety two or three, we had moved to our Gardena location, and import drag racing was getting better and better. So back then, um, you know, cold air intakes aren't anything new. Everyone says, oh, you're the father of cold air intakes. And they say, no, I'm not the father of cold air intakes. Ford is the father of cold air intakes and GM are because they're pulling air from behind the radiator. The uh, yeah, do you remember the cowl inductions? Yeah. They had the, the Boss Mustang had the two big tubes that went from the radiator core support to feed the engine. Yep. I mean, that was, you know, it's not, anyone that's ever done the horsepower uh, standardization equation knows the benefit of cold, dense air. You know, right. It's a no-brainer. And so we just adopted that. To, our first product was a um, CRX. Okay. Yeah, and we made a cold air system. And, and we back then, Honda left a lot on the table. Everyone left a lot on the table back then. So we're like, my God, look at that. We gained 12 horsepower on this thing just by getting the inlet air temp down. And the other thing was the, the length tuning and the diameter of the system is not all about cold air, but you had to get the, the length and diameter of the tube right to um, be responsive with the torque peak that you're looking for. And so we developed the system with not just cold air, but the length and diameter right. Okay. Uh, and that was about 94. We, and we were starting to develop the product, and, and to be honest, I was so undercapitalized it wasn't funny. You know, I, I could, it was one of those things you're paycheck to paycheck, just trying to make ends meet. Yeah. And uh, we struggled with it for a while. And to be honest with you, in 97, I got a great offer. I was going to go back and work at Roush and do engine development work at Roush's place. So I was ready to pack it up, move to Michigan, and I went and talked. Why would you want to do that, though? Working for Jack Roush's yeah. engine development? Yeah, but really? Michigan. Yeah, I, I would take all the cold in the world to do that because <laughs> I love, love the internal combustion process. It's the, yeah. It's godlike. It's unbelievable. How I mean, that's kind of what your, your whole business is kind of focused around. It always had been, yeah. yeah. I mean, to digress slightly, when I was in college, I worked at a fuel lab. There was a company called Daco, and they made racing fuel, and we made high-performance ignition stuff. And when I was in school, you know, I've always been involved in that process, you know. So it's kind of a, a natural thing. to And so to get this offer to go to Roush, it's like, yeah. But I went and sat down with Peter to ask advice, uh, Peter Neuwirth, who was my boss at Redline. And it was just advice. It's like, Peter, what do you think I should do? And I brought him a pile of magazines, turbo magazines. Mm-hmm. And we had the cyber cars on the cover. We had, we had gained a lot of um, press, you know, doing what we were doing. But I didn't put much equity in that. I, I didn't put much stock in it. And so Peter looked at it and he goes, my God, you guys have, you know, you have something going here. But what you need is someone with some business sense. And I'm not that guy. I, uh, I'll be the first to admit I'm a business moron. And... Uh, it literally was as casual as, you know, if you want to be my partner in this, then we can get it going. And that was, I think, August of uh, 87, and by October 15th, 97. Of eight, or 97, 97, yeah. you're okay. right, 97. It was August of 97, October 15th, 
97, the Newers and I partnered up, and, and they put the business sense into this. And, and Peter's like, look, you got to manufacture stuff. You know, you, you started with this cold air thing. It looks like it has some legs. We were working with another company to manufacture the parts for us, which was troublesome. And uh, so we finally got it going. With that company, we, we started to build up inventory and build up a name. But then we bought our own equipment to do our own manufacturing. And we, so we had cam gears were one of the first things we made. So we made the uh, adjustable adjustable mm -hmm. cam yep. gears. Yep. And I'll tell you kind of a funny story about that. You ever heard of Esslinger Engineering? Yeah. Okay, so they did the Pinto stuff. And Dwayne and Dan, so for my Weber carburetors days, Dwayne and Dan were really good friends. And Dan had designed this cam gear for the Pinto engines. And I, I loved it. It was a perfect device. So I went to him and said, Dan, could you make these for my Hondas? You know, I mean, you have all the tooling. I'll do all the design. Can you manufacture them? He had no interest in importing. He goes, John, take the design. I'm not going to be offended. We're doing the Pinto stuff. Wow. Run with it and do it. So we went and had it made um, ourselves. And we actually hooked up with a great machinist in Whittier. Okay. And he did all that machine work for us. So the timing gears and the uh, cold air intakes were our first uh, two products that got us going into manufacturing. Okay. Yeah. Now, were you doing a lot of documentation and stuff with uh, with those back then as well? You know, a lot of R&D and testing and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I so, can imagine so, but... Yeah. The cam gears, most of them were... So I, I had AutoCAD back then, uh, which is kind of old school now. Yeah. But I had a computer, and it was in my office at my house. I had a little upstairs office. And most, I, so I'd bring home the stock cam gears of all these Hondas and Toyotas and Mitsubishis and all that. And I had a little, uh, all my mics and a little comparator to get all the edge profiles. And I actually did all that design, you know, at night in that office upstairs in my house. And then I'd bring the prints to the machinist and, you know, we'd make them and put them on the car and test them and, and see what the effect of changing the cam timing was, you know, in okay. various applications. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. still doing a lot of, uh, I don't want to say trial and error R&D, but back you kind of did, did no, what was. you had to do. <laughs> it, was, it was very empirical, yeah. you know, because in order to predict what the cam timing changes would be, I mean, you, you, you know if you advance both intake and exhaust, you may pick up some torque. You know if you retard them, you may pick up some top end. But what happens when you split the overlap or increase the overlap? You know, the twin cam engines gave you a massive amount of adjustability and you could move the torque peak wherever you wanted it to be and you could change the power wherever you wanted it to be. So if you, a guy was road racing and you had a bunch of tight turns or he's autocrossing, then you'd emphasize the torque. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Willow Springs where it's a long, long leg track, maybe you'd emphasize end. top end. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So okay. it was trial and error. Um, but at the same time, I think it was well-founded in, in what the basic principles of cam timing got you to. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. so now along the lines of, uh, you know, kind of moving up through the products, when did things really, really start to take off? Two, there are two kind of prominent things. So, so things really started to move along pretty quickly in early 2000. Okay. And we were doing intake systems. So back then, RS Akimoto came online, and Iceman, and there was us. And I think we were starting to get... With Peter and Greg's marketing and capital, we were able to produce things at a pretty good clip. And I started to get a staff of guys to help develop this. And everything we did, we dynoed. I had a little... Um, procedure chart for the guys where we had to do all the dyno work and then 
we got our Mustang Dyno in 03. Okay. And we really started to do that. That's when data acquisition and dynos were getting much, much better. Right. And so, and we still have that Mustang, and it's a great Dyno. Okay. You know, uh, and we started to really develop the product back then. And then there's this funny little show called The Fast and Furious came out. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've, never, I've never seen that. Never heard what, of it? What, no, yeah. what, what is yeah, that? Yeah, it's kind of goofy. <laughs> but, and, and, and for some of the technical errors that were kind of comical in it, you know, some of the guys would laugh, but my God, did our business jump. Yeah. It, I think we picked up almost $100,000 in a month after that show wow, really? started. It just, just, just like a light switch. Yeah. And then, the, so if you remember SEMA back then, it was all about imports, you know. Man, it was climbing like crazy, and everyone had booths with import stuff in it. It, it was going nuts. When you think about it, numbers-wise, in '97, uh, SEMA, according to their numbers, uh, import segment of that performance aftermarket was about 385 million. After about a year after Fast and the Furious came out, uh, they were their numbers said about a billion. Wow! So yeah. that was like monumental growth in a very short That's a lot of underglow. Time. It was it's a, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. A lot of underglow. A lot of combat kits, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of pink neon lights. Yeah, a lot of interesting and, and stuff. And Lexan, Lexan hoods. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you follow Hot Rod, and, and that's basically, it was just the rebirth of Hot Rod. just yeah, in, just different in imports, right? Yeah. And if you look at it historically, it's always been like that. I mean, you look at post-war and all these guys coming back from World War II with all this amazing machining talent and electrical talent, you know, and you see, you know, like this, you know, the stuff from pre-war, how quickly it advances post-war, and then you see that, you know, that enthusiasm you know, grow in mass. Like, go back and look at like '60s show cars. They're just as obnoxious as the imports were in the early 2000s. Yeah, it was true. just expressions of, of, of taste and and, yeah. and enthusiasm. You know, love it or hate it. Um, on some level, you have to love it because whether you agree with somebody's taste or style or not, they're car guys. I yep. mean, they're expressing their passion. Yeah. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, I like lowriders as much as I like hot rods because you look at the work and the passion that you put in a lowrider. It's like you know what? He's a car guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can you can respect quality of craftsmanship more than anything, regardless Absolutely. of whether you like what it's on. Like, yeah, you know if it, if you would drive it or not. Yeah, you can appreciate it. It might not be something that you would want to build yourself, exactly. but you can definitely appreciate the time and the effort that went into it. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you bet. So was there ever a point where, as things started to get going, that you kind of sat down and you're like, holy crap, what is happening? Because it seems like it seems like that today. <laughs> it seems, I mean, it seems like it ramped up pretty pretty quick for you there. So It did. And in, in, in the 2000s, um, so about 04, we had our Mustang. And then, so the, the Contreras brothers and I were really good friends. And Derek and Daryl used to do all their initial header development when we were in Compton when we first started. They would show up with a Honda Civic with 10 sets of headers in the back. And we'd just sit there and change headers and dyno it and just document everything that went on with those cars. So we stayed in touch. I always wanted to have an exhaust division, and I always considered them to be the very best, you know, the best. Um, Honda, for God knows what reason, it was like the small block Chevy of imports, but they kind of ignored also the ground swell of the import thing, and, and that gave 
Nissan and Toyota and Mazda and Mitsubishi to uh, an opening to come into the market. And so they started to take a good hunk of market share. So at some point, the Contreras brothers said, you know, hey, we want to, you know, um, sell this company. And Greg and Peter and I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. And it was a great opportunity. I don't know that we handled it all that well. Um, obviously, we ended up selling DC, and it, it didn't work out as it should have. But what did happen is we started to, with that and other things, we started to really ramp up in the mid-2000s. And Kirk Miller went and got um, Toyota to buy. We, we were manufacturing intake systems for Scion. Oh, really? So, yeah. So okay. Kirk, And here's the interesting thing. Initially, you know, Scion wanted AEM branding. So we were making intake systems, battery tie-downs, all sorts of billet parts with the DC facility with exhaust. We were making exhaust systems for them. And you could buy an XV back then, fully kitted with AEM product on it. Really? Yeah. And, wow, and it was AEM. And port installed. Wow. Yeah, port installed uh, and DIO, dealer installed Yeah, option. dealer installed. Uh, so, and they wanted AEM branding on it, which was flattering. And it kind of gave us... Um, a, a little bit of credence, I guess, in the market. And in our OEM business, really, Kirk cultivated it, and then we got a gentleman named Jeremy Barris in here who had a lot of connections in the um, OEM world. And ultimately, we ended up, we made products for Daimler Chrysler, and it was Daimler Chrysler back then, yeah. and Ford, and GM. We were and I saw there was a, an award in the front lobby from, yeah, yeah from yeah. Uh, Chrysler The Dodge supplier from, award. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that like 2000, I think it was 2006? Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, probably about then. That's about right. Yeah, because okay. 08 is when everything started to crash. So yeah. 06 is probably about right. Okay. Um, but yeah, we were, and, and that OEM business was climbing. And, and at the same time, we'd introduced the dry filter. And so the dry filter was the product of the Scion project because back then, Scion had hydrocarbon traps. And when you had a hydrocarbon trap in a car, when we had to do what's called a DFMEA, we had to say, well, what happens if someone were to over-oil it? Not, I'm not saying oiled filters back then were over-oiled, but if some end user, you know the some's good, more is better yep. mentality, yep. so a guy slathers the poor filter down in oil. So I couldn't honestly answer what would happen when oil got into active carbon matrix that would ruin that emission control device. So we were working with Toyota, and we noticed that the OEM filter was made out of a synthetic polyester. And we said, okay, well, why can't we wash this? And we worked with a company called FiberWeb back then. And we found that if we did what's called needling the fiber, so you would take, this is a lofted fiber, and we, it's like knitting. You would take the top fiber and take a needle and hook it into the bottom scrim layer. Come back through? Yeah, so it wouldn't pull apart when you wash it. Okay. So now it had structural integrity to it. And so now you can wash this plastic polyester filter that you never had to oil. You could actually, because it's dry, you could bang it on the ground and knock most of the dirt out of it. We literally had Baja teams that would come through three foot of silt. And if the things would pack up, they'd just pull over, literally whack, off, whack yeah. them on the side of the truck, put <laughs> yeah. them back on, and yeah. take off. Yeah, exactly. That's um, so awesome. Yeah, and so that dry filter really, really started to accelerate things for us. And Lawson did a, a kick-ass job marketing it. it we, we, we were biting into other air filter companies' business at oh, a yeah. pretty hellacious rate, I think. Yep. 
Lawson, what's uh, what's your background? You know, I, you were telling me that you've done some work with some different magazines and things like that, but kind of walk us through. Uh, I can mop the hell out of your floor, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm a, Ed I'm, the mop over his knee when he's a, done. I'm a quick change <laughs> trash guy. You know, you got a you got a full canister. I can I can swap it out. Like don't a, don't let like a NASCAR lost. pit crew. Yeah. Um, no, I my background is uh, I was I got back from college. Um, I was I used to play a little football, and I, I got invited to a camp, and I got hurt at camp, and you know, of course, went to camp and skipped all my finals because that's what I wanted to do. So, um, ended up you know back and forth, got my degree, and, and came back home. I'm, I'm from California, and uh, at the time, uh, my mom owned like a, a what was the equivalent of a mailboxes, etc. But it was private, you know, it wasn't a chain thing, right. and. Uh, you know, I had just gotten home. It was coming into the holidays. She worked. She had a full-time job, too, and didn't really have anybody to run it going into the busiest part of the shipping season, you know, coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And the owner of Turbo Magazine happened to run his um, his P.O. boxes out of there for his subscriptions and okay. stuff. So, and we, you know, we did his bulk mailing for international. All the international customers would ship out their subs out of there. Oh, really? And so, so I were, always, were you a car guy coming in? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And although not so much, I, honestly, not as much on the import. I was because I went to school back east. So as import was coming up, um, you know, and kind of that underground thing, I left like right, you know, and I was aware of it. Like I'd come home, you know, I'd turn on, you'd see him, and it's like, wow, that's. That's really fast for what it is. You know, I, I yeah. recognized it, but yeah, yeah. It, it, most of my friends all drove muscle cars in high school. Okay, and and, uh, and so I started reading Turbo because I had them all over the shop, and uh, you know, I was like, this is some pretty incredible stuff. I, you know, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around forced induction because you know at that time it was there's no replacement for displacement, yep. and um, you know, understanding how uh, you know. 1.6 liter engine could put out so much horsepower per liter and and how a front wheel drive car could actually hook up and cut 13 and a quarter miles it was just it was fascinating yeah, yeah. so it start, I started talking with Kip and um, I guess I knew enough about it and I was curious enough of an animal that uh, uh, Sean Carlson formerly he owned new forms um, amazing fabricator super talented one of those early import guys that um, he actually he built the uh, the two-frame chassis on Steph's uh, hatchback, oh, okay. the, the one that set the first round of records in front drive. Okay. Um, and Sean was an editor there, but Sean was leaving to start his own company, and he needed a guy. And you know, he's like, "Can you write?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I had a communications degree." Okay. You know, and, and uh, he said, "Why don't you come down and talk to our editor?" So I, I went down. I met Evan Griffey, who's the editor of uh, Turbo. And I remember he gave me a story to write. You know, he just handed me a tech sheet on a car and said, "Here, write a story." That's all. I, I didn't even have photos. <laughs> and I wrote, you know, I, I wrote an article and I came back and he read it and he goes, "You start Monday?" I said, Absolutely. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought, "Wow, you, you know, he liked it." And nine drafts later, I was published. <laughs> so, you know, it was there was a learning curve for me. And yeah. um, I was really fortunate at the time because I worked with guys like Rob Chu, who Rob has his own facility. He works on some stuff on GT Channel. Um, I think he was probably had a half a dozen uh, cars that you saw at Super Lap in his mm -hmm. shop 
um, over the last you know few weeks, getting them prepped for racing. And uh, Ed Ang, who I don't know what Ed's up to, but Ed was one of those early drag race guys. Um, Jason Mulroney, he ended up uh, being a uh, he was became one of our editors. He was a racer. I called him Billy. He's from uh, <laughs> across the pond, and he. Uh, um, ended up doing a lot of stuff with Prime Media. He was, you know, one of their content directors for a while there. But, but all these really cool guys. Most of them were super tech savvy and hardcore into it, but had limited writing skills. Right. And I was sort of the other way around. I was eager to learn. I had this rudimentary knowledge, but I could write. So it was this match made in heaven where you know they were teaching me things, and I was making sure they sound. You know, they were what they were doing was was being conveyed well in in print and. Uh, very symbiotic and um from there kip sold the business to prime media uh i went over there and realized very quickly that i uh i wasn't sure i was going to enjoy a corporate environment yeah so i started throwing a few feelers out and um i got a call from uh greg newworth and greg had talked to kip kip knew i was looking around just kind of you know poking around a little bit and that was right about 2000 when um, AEM was starting to make um, uh, like specialty packages for the uh, 99-2000 Civic SI and the focus that was coming over and um, they wanted somebody to go out and, and you know hunt these packages to dealers and so I, I literally cut my teeth in sales selling to car dealers <laughs> and I remember Peter's I'm sorry no it's okay it was, it was again you know you, you're gonna live or die and um and it's what you take it's your takeaway and uh had a lot of success and had a lot of failures um think about how many we set up at one point we had oh gosh I mean we had Honda dealers set up with us all over the country buying our stuff because even after the 2000 went away they liked our product and they were able to sell it right. because it was good stuff and it didn't fail. So they were selling it as, um, you know, in their performance divisions or as an upgrade, you know, dealer installed option upgrade because we we were good with it. We failed on the Ford front because I don't think Ford, American Ford, really understood the heritage of the Focus at the time. Yeah, um, They saw it as another, I think, economy car replacement yeah. versus, you know, a rally bread you know, back, sort of Back in the day, if they would have, yeah, if they would have brought the, the Focus RS over back in the oh, day. Oh, forget about it. I mean, look yeah. at it now. Everybody, you, you know, you have people lining up to yeah. buy that car. I mean, back then, I mean, you you know, you had the Evo and you had the ST, or I guess the WRX yeah. first, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and those were just hits. Did I ever tell you about my, my, my sales training with Peter going out to my first call? I'm almost afraid to ask. It was epic. <laughs> Peter's, and I love Peter and Greg. I mean, Greg is our president now. He's... Um, you know, the fearless leader, and he's he he's carries a lot, and he's got a ton of passion and mad respect for the man. And um, but Peter, I dealt with a lot in the beginning, and the Peter and, and same kind of thing. I mean, I just I love Peter. He's a great man, and pulls me into his office. He says, "Okay, you ready for your sales training?" You know, I'm kind of this nervous, dopey kid. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he says, "Sit down." I sit down. And he goes, "Lawson, be honest." Make them want to do business with you. Good luck, son. And hands me his <laughs> hand out shaking. That was my sales training. And off I went. And uh, so it was cool. It's it was damn really good cool. advice, though. Isn't it, it was, uh, you know what? I, I reflect on that and I remembered it because at the end of the day, yeah. it's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
<laughs> kind of cut through the BS. Yeah, that's kind of that's my background is in in professional sales. I've had corporate sales jobs before, and this is this is way better. Yeah, this is way better. Like if you could be selling, like get your start in sales, but in a you know in something that you enjoy. Yeah, that's not not so bad. So that's it. That's how I ended up at AEM, and uh, the dealer thing lasted for a while. The four guys didn't get it when the Civic went away. I just sort of transitioned into sales marketing role because I had and and how I ended up you know, really ending up doing all the, you know, being the marketing director at the time, you know, I evolved from coordinator and manager to what I am now was, um, we just had a need for it. We were growing so quickly and we needed, there was nobody that really had the reins of everything. And, right. um, it came time to make a catalog and, and Peter and Greg pulled me and said, do you know how to make a catalog? I'm like, yeah. I mean, in magazines, so yes, I can make a catalog. And yeah, he said, "Great, make one," and uh, and I did. And what I didn't know at the time was apparently the last one they had done came in, you know, three months late and wasn't even what they wanted. And you know, they just gave up and said, "Print it and everything." And I was about you know six weeks ahead of their anticipated schedule, and it came in under budget. So they were very pleased. They knocked it so out of the park, it was like, man. "Do this, yeah. do yeah. this," and then I kept taking on all these you know Marcom roles. And, uh, you know, in the PR, they'd be like, gosh, it would be great to get an article on this. Well, I had an editorial <laughs> background and I had friends. So I called and be like, hey, I need to show you something. Why don't you come over, you know? And, yeah. and so that's, so I, unbeknownst to me, you know, I, I had this, you know, not only knack, but I had the right connections for, for a marketing communications role. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I love it here. Um, again, I learn every day. I work with an amazing group of people, super talented, really smart guys, and I get to brag about all the cool shit they do. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I it's, got to you being a little modest because I, I credit a lot of AEM's uh, presence on what he's done. Because if you would have seen what he did during the drag racing time and with the catalog, of course, doing doing all that work and stuff. Yeah, I got to do all the marketing and, yeah. and run the basic, the you know, that side. Did you do, of it. Did you do the Hot Wheels cars side. too? Yeah, that was Yeah, cool. there you go. Yeah, <laughs> he kills it. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to yeah, kind of keep my finger in the pie there. Okay. Yeah, multiple awesome. pie. Yeah. Now, as car guys, like, what's uh, what kind of tickles your guys' fancy right now? Like, JC, what uh, what's kind of your, your thing lately? I know last time I was here, I saw the Studebaker. That thing's pretty cool. Yeah, that's my current headache. <laughs> um, I, I love building cars, and I'm not necessarily um, I'm not necessarily brand loyal to some extent. I had an NSX that was a dual fuel turbocharged NSX that I sadly sold. Um, I should have kept. It was one of my favorite cars ever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and I, I would still have it if, if it got injured, unfortunately. Yeah, so it's gone. Uh, but I, so I have that. I have the Ferrari that you know I bought a 550. Mm -hmm. I got the Studebaker. When the Studi's done, I plan on making another car. I want to make a two chassis, all carbon fiber bodied Carmen Ghia with a turbocharged Honda K motor in the middle of it. That'd be so, so cool. Oh, 600 horsepower and 1300 pounds is a perfect grocery getter. Yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I want to try to compare to Hawthorne in the back on a daily basis. Yeah, so. I, I, what tickles me is, is building cars. A, a lot of people fancy themselves as drivers, and I'm not that guy. A okay. driver, he's a special guy. A, a driver, a good driver can extract something out of a car that most people can't. People, every guy likes to think they're a badass driver. Yeah. They're not. There's a very narrow band 
of killer drivers out there, and everyone else is just the chafe. Yeah. And so, and, and building to me is is much more fun, and horsepower is where it's at for me. So, uh, as far as what particular thing, I mean, we're going to El Mirage with a land speed car. I Tomorrow, got Stu yeah. Baker, you know. I love road racing. Hell, I even like bicycle riding, for God's sake. Oh, yeah? You know, airplanes. I, you know, I did aerobatic flying for a while, so I'm, I'm down for anything. As long as it's it's motion and fun, you know, I'm just not the best at it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Lawson? Uh, similar to JC. I mean, I don't really have any, you know, I don't have a singular passion for it all. I think I, I you know part of me still turns into that wide-eyed kid regardless of the type of motorsports I'm, I'm looking at and that's you know I've always had an affinity for drag racing um, you know I've, I've definitely had an affinity for import drag racing because I saw all these guys do things that said could not be done and then they did it and then they said well they'll you know they'll never see 11s and they saw 11s they'll never see 10s and I was there when Dave Sheed Dave ran Sheed, that rust yeah. bucket frightening car the silver bullet <laughs> into yes, the 10s at, at LACR yep. remember that CRI yeah. Yeah. you know and and you know oh we'll never see nines and then Steph cracks a nine in the two frame and you know oh eights are impossible and now you're seeing eights I mean now what Steph was doing in a purpose-built two frame car guys are still they're doing in unibody and sport front and you know and going even faster and so you see where where the pioneers were and you say well it can't get any better but it keeps getting better and and, and they keep breaking all of these rules of, of physics and things that shouldn't yeah. happen and they find ways to make it happen and you know part of that's uh, you know pat on the back to our guys because because the technology from the you know an electronic standpoint certainly assisted with that but, yeah um so that's that's great but i mean we're working with a ton of of domestic drag racing teams now we've got a you know a coyote mustang that's a, a real big heavy car with a relatively average sized turbo that just cut a 727 at 190 and or 726 i think at like 191 and it's not full trim race car yeah you know and and so you know it's just I love that, but at the same time, time attack. Like, how do you not love a drag race around a track? Yeah. For one lap, you know, and, or, you know, when it, we work with uh, Pirelli World Challenge teams, we've got a GTS Camaro team that we work with. You know, you go there, and, and if you can't get goosebumps and fired up, when you hear them, when you, you know, you're standing in there and you hear those engines echoing <laughs> through, you know, the tunnels. Of yeah. The, it's, it, you know, you're at the drift event and we're watching, you know, we're watching dudes inches off of each other's bumpers in tandem combination at, at obscenely high rates of speed. Um, I'm out at SEMA and I was fortunate enough to be invited to um, go and watch the qualifying for the positions at the Baja 1000, watching these trucks run around essentially what is like a rallycross style course. Yeah. So I I just I love it all. Yeah, I mean that's and that's what I love about you know what you guys do here at AEM is it, it's kind of universal for you know for car guys like yes where there is motors there's more power to be extracted no matter what you know motorsport that you're you're talking about so we're an electronics company right that's the thing it's, right and and we love all things you know internal combustion so whether it has you know four cylinders or eight or twelve sixteen two. It really doesn't matter to us if if you're trying to make it go faster. Yeah, um, we're we're kind of all about that. Yeah. yeah, and that's what's so great. You know, that's why I I really wanted to do the show with you guys too because it kind of spreads. You know, 
more than just what we focus on with Slip Angle, which is kind of, you know, road racing, time attack stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all of that, you know, Mikey, Mikey's tuned a lot of, of different cars, from drag race cars all the way to time attack cars. Um, there's just a, a very broad spread that, like I said, that your products essentially go towards. And as you said, you're an, an, an electronics company. Yeah, and it, and it's and we're starting to show that more. You know, go yeah. away from the perceived, you know, import only company. I mean, again, we, we really are an electronics company, yeah. but we're we're very fortunate. We're, uh, you know, we're every Pro Four truck this year in Torque will have an Infinity ECU on it. Okay. Every Trans Am two car will have an Infinity ECU on it. We're the official ECU for both of those. Oh wow! And all on the flip side of that, the the new Alans, the NPO one prototypes yeah. in NASA. Those. Yeah. We'll have an yeah, I was hoping to go up there uh, next Tuesday and, and drive that, but it just doesn't work into my schedule. Oh, yeah, man. would have been really, really fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every, but, I, I know there's a lot of people getting really excited yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then for the last couple of few years now, um, every GRC car, or lights car, excuse me, uh, FIA rally cross, the RX lights cars, and the Scandinavian supercar lights cars have run Infinity. So okay. we run the gamut across that. And, yeah. Um, you know, we're on lots of different fast cars and lots of different yeah. environments. Heck, even you know, talk about Pikes Peak. Um, we ran. Uh, well, we were we were on Reese's car when he's you know swapped his time attack car over and went and ran and set the record before uh, Romain Dumas yeah. <laughs> buried it the next year. <laughs> but you know, we were also on his his uh, LMP car too yeah, that yeah. year and. Uh, and so yeah, we just uh, at Bonneville, like JC's going yeah, to Bonneville. Do a lot of Bonneville stuff. Yeah, a yeah. lot of Bonneville stuff. So you know, it was really cool yesterday uh, at Superlap. There was a, a guy named Cody Kishel that's out of uh, out of Atlanta. He was running a C6 Z06. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he got down to like a 141, but he's running an AEM Infinity on his Corvette. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, it was it was kind of like merging the two, uh, kind of like the import kind of time attack stuff and then this guy brings a corvette out you know and goes super super fast so mm-hmm. it's really really cool to see well that's cool so. to hear too yeah i mean that's that's really you know it's it's one of our things that we always say you know we just it's it's real real simple with us you know we want to help you go faster we want to help you set records and want to help you win races right and it doesn't matter what type of car you're in yeah so. awesome well what's uh, what's on the horizon for AEM? Mm, we got a lot. Anything? Of anything you can talk about? We have a lot of new products coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. Uh, um, you'll probably see them at SEMA or PRI now. Yeah. Or, oh, those, oh, those ones. Yeah, we can't talk about those. Um, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the we can tell uh, you, you know, about what have to kill you stuff. Well, we did show the dash. Yeah, yeah. We have a new so, display coming out. Okay, a new dash display. People been asking that for works, it for works a while. with ECU. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In fact, it's specific to it. it it's CAN bus only. Okay. Power ground CAN. Um, it has no zero to fives going out, so it will read off of any. You know, our EMA, uh, old EMS four, the old Series two, of course, the new Infinity, uh, our AQ one data logger, anything that has an AEM net. Oh wow, that's great that you're you know designing it to be able to be used with the older stuff too. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Although yeah. your channels are going to be more limited, right? With right. The older stuff. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it's it's a nifty piece, seven inch full color. Uh, like everything we do, we're going to make it pretty technologically robust and um, at a very, very competitive affordable. price point. I mean, we don't have exact yeah. numbers, but I think everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised with, I think, what we'll be able to bring in the price point. And it's going to have, uh, we, we call it uh, IRG technology. 
instantly recognizable graphics. Super high, super bright LEDs, um, fully custom configurable. So it's not like you've got a gauge over here and a bar here and you just tell it what you want in it. You want that bar down here and a giant gauge? Wow. Yeah, you can make it that way. Just yeah. a blank canvas and Import you can... graphics, yeah. Okay. Six-page cool. programmability. Wow. So now you can do startup pages. You know, you're not going to have to plug Ball in and watch everything quite. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so there's there's a lot to it. And then again, make it as intricate or robust as you want. But um, we wanted to make it uh, instantly recognizable because uh, I know it can be challenging to see your data on a dash when it's really bright and you're looking through right. a visor and and you just got to glance at it real quick exactly yep. so this thing it you can make the whole thing scream at you if something goes wrong okay and uh, and I think once we get it into demo and start showing some videos and of course get it out it, launch it and that should be out uh, I would imagine July at the latest okay. maybe a little sooner um, we've just launched the uh, uh, we've upped the ante with the wideband stuff. That put us on the map uh, when we when we launched our, our Series One standalone, and and the guys were like, "Well, let's make an affordable wideband. Let's make tuning easier." And we did. And of course, the gauge is probably one of the most copied products in the industry. It's very flattering. It's like the standard. It yeah. is. Yeah. It is. Uh, well, we've upped the ante on the standard now. Um, guys have completely redesigned it. We've got patent pending technology. We call it X digital technology. The gauge, it's called the X series wideband, uh, both an inline controller and, and a wideband. And we tested it against independently, not us, but uh, we sent it out with 17 other units and had it tested. And it's got uh, a wickedly fast response time. And so for tuners, as you know, uh, reducing that dead time that the and, and you guys can explain it, and JC can do it in, in much more technical terms than I can. But um, you know, when you're tuning, you've—that's the only thing that's really not happening almost instantly. There's right. always that it's all, time. It's all history. What you're reading is, is history. Precisely, it's, it's already yes. happened. Yeah. Now, now it's almost down to just the gas transport time. Yeah. And wow. That's that's your latency yeah. because the read is so within a couple of milliseconds. Wow. Yeah. 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 It, that test Lawson referred to, we were, we were the fastest, and not the fastest by a little bit, we were the fastest by a pretty fair margin. Pretty good okay. margin. Yeah. It, yeah. it was impressive. And yeah. we did it purposely at an independent test lab, uh, so it doesn't have our influence on it. You know, yeah. We wanted someone independent to do it. And, and beyond that, uh, the, the gauge itself, it's, a, it's sexy. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it is. It's, we went to a single board design, yeah. so it's still at 52. Oh, there you go. Oh, wow. I, I know you yeah. can't see this out. And look how thin it know. is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's wow. it's just over, I think, just over an inch. Overall, the cup depth is only awesome. 0.2 inches. This reminds me of a really clean, like, simple watch face. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's it. We made it bigger. It's 33% overall display is increased. The center segment is 87% increase, so way easier to see. Wow. Uh, that's over our old, like our 304110 wideband. Right. And uh, three or four digit display reads in Lambda, O2 percentage, AFR. Uh, it's got, you know, like like our old ones, um, it's got the resistor calibration on it. It uses a Bosch 4.9. We upgraded to the newer okay. sensor. Um, but if you're at the track and you're like, ah, I don't know about it. this sensor's a little old, you can free air cal it now too. So oh. it's it's that perfect blend of you know you got a fresh sensor, use the factory calibration, and the thing's getting old, and you really need to know. 
pull it out and wave it, and it'll go through the cow process, and it's all done through the two buttons on the faceplate. So um, you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to oh, link yeah. it up to to do those things. Um, and it's also got the CAN bus. So uh, feedback will be zero to five or RS two thirty two, but data and linking is all AM net CAN bus, and you can link sixteen of them if you wanted to. But more importantly, <laughs> yeah. you'll be able to take the, you know, this or two or this or an inline and our other X-series gauges that will be out next month and put them all together and, you know, and not have to, you know, chew up I.O. or anything. You just yeah. run it all through the stream. Yeah. That's great. I mean, you know, even 30 years after you started, you're still just pushing the boundaries on everything. It's great. It is. Never uh, I love to still. see that. Yeah. Never, ever. Boy, the day you stand still, you're yeah. fast. And I love that you're still so involved in everything, too. You know, last time I was here, you were showing me some drawings for the different stuff you were working on. Like, it's like, that's so cool. He's still he's still super involved and still working on everything. To, to be honest with you, I'm having the best time of my life right Oh, yeah? Now. Yeah, it's, I don't have to worry about the business end of it, you know, I mean. You just do do your thing. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's basically turn you loose and, and uh, you know, kind of imagine stuff. The only bitch is, I was just telling somebody the other day, it's getting a little lonely out in the trailer here. <laughs> I come and take pictures. My photo room's yeah. on the other yeah, side. Yeah, so. <laughs> my People ask my girlfriend what I do for a living. She says, he sells car parts from a trailer in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, thanks, babe. Technically, she's not lying, right? She's not lying at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Well, awesome. Well, we really appreciate you guys' time. Um, where can we find out more about AEM and, and about the things that you guys do? You can find us online at aemelectronics.com. Okay. Uh, we've got a Facebook page if you want to check out a little bit of, of what we do and um, you know what we're about. Instagram, of course. Um, right. If you have questions, we have a forum that you can register for, and uh, and our tech guys are, are phenomenal. Oh, God, so awesome. I mean, if you have questions call us you know they get back to you within a day a lot of times within an hour or so um always happy to help guys kind of work it out find a good place to buy a good installer if, if they don't you know work on their car themselves they're just on the racing end of it and um and then we attend a lot of events and races too and right. we're um we let you know via facebook and those types of things where we're going to be uh, all over the country, actually all over the world. Okay. So, um, and you can always call and say, hey, you know, what's your schedule for this or that? And uh, we'll be releasing that once we finalize it, probably end of December. We'll, we'll have a calendar up of everywhere we're going to be. Perfect. Well, anything else? No, other than no, thanks no. for coming and doing this yeah, a lot absolutely. of fun. Really yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much it. for your time. You know, like I said, uh, we were talking off air earlier. One of the cars that I remember the most is the... The maroon RSX from, yeah, from back yeah. in the day. The nitrous car. It was a sport compact car, yeah. yeah. That's where you coined Maybelline Red. Maybelline Red. That's right, Maybelline <laughs> Red. <laughs> so you guys, you guys have kind of been on my radar a lot. I think it was the first feature car I saw that you guys had done. Um, you know, I'm sure there were others before that, but that's mm -hmm. the one that sticks out in my mind the most. And you know, ever since then, I've been like, man, those guys do awesome stuff. And so, you know, it's been a pleasure to, to be able to be here and, and be speaking with you guys. So I really appreciate it. Oh, thank appreciate you. It. It's all about fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, thanks so much, guys. All right. Cool. Thank you.